To women who hoped to evade the ticking clock of time, Dr. Frederick Brandt was the most potent drug dealer in the world. And the dealer got high on his own supply. From Imperative Entertainment and the team behind Broken Hearts comes a new series that will challenge everything you know about fame, fortune, and the fear of growing old. I'm Justine Harmon, and this is The Baron of Botox. This is episode 287 of the Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at Blinded by the Light, as well as going over all the movie news and movie trailers that drop throughout the week. All that more on today's Real Me In. What is going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts. Chase Lee, and uh, welcome to episode 287. If you are new to the show, welcome. What we typically do is we'll go over uh, all the movie trailers and movie news that drop throughout the week and give you our commentary commentary on them and let you know uh, what our thoughts are for the upcoming projects in Hollywood, as well as reviewing some movies or, you know, uh, blockbusters, indie films, uh, whatever comes out on said weekend that we record, we will have a review for you guys, and we just have a lot of fun talking about it. So, if you chose this podcast out of random, and uh, you want to hear a couple people talk about uh, some movies that are uh, happening uh, throughout the week, and just give you our, our thoughts on them, this is your their show. And so, I hope you stick around and hope you become a fan because if you love talking about films, uh, we do as well. And so, we hopefully. Uh, uh, hopefully you have a fun time. And if you're a returning listener, uh, welcome back. We always appreciate you guys. You guys are the best. And so, uh, as, as stated at the top, uh, we will be going over uh, Blinded by the Light uh, in this very, very crowded uh, release weekend. Uh, we we chose this one to review and, uh, you know, uh, just uh, tune in to what we think about it. So, uh, yeah, that will uh, be the main topic of conversations as, as well as going over all the stuff up at the top. Before I pass it over to my cohort and uh, let him uh, speak about his week, um, if you guys could spread this episode around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to, we would really appreciate it. Whether you're listening to it on CastBox, Spotify, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, iTunes, wherever you get these uh, episodes, uh, it, that would really help us out, uh, spread the word on Real Me In. Joel, how is it going, sir? It is the middle of August, and uh, we, I know we exaggerate all the time about the Texas heat, but we are literally living in a microwave, because every time when I walk outside, I, I'm hoping that it's a new day, and that it could at least be in the mid-90s, and it's like, no, it's going to be 105 uh, bare minimum, so um, we are slowly dying out here. So if Joel and I don't record next week or even at the end of August, at least you know. At least you know that <laughs> Texas has swallowed us up and we live in the soil now. So, um, so uh, Joel, what is, what is going on in the, the world of you, sir? Well, to quote the, the popular meme that goes around occasionally um, – at least, at least in the south of of, uh, and I would hope in like other hot countries too, maybe has this meme. But every time I walk outside, Frodo and Sam are returning the ring to <laughs> to 
uh, Mount Doom. <laughs> so <laughs> he just casually passes them, kind of waves at them. It doesn't even like realize that uh, they are the characters. He's just like, eh, whatever, man. <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to go to work. <laughs> it's so hot. It's it's incredible. It's uh, it's pretty I think bad. That the, yeah, I think that the highest heat index was like 110 or something this week, and it was. Um, I think that might have been on like Wednesday or something, and it was it was insane. Um, once again, we haven't had a rain in a while. I think we had a brief like I don't know if you did. I think we had a brief storm last weekend, and that was it. Yeah, it uh, literally was like two hours, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Which <laughs> you know, hope. In, it, in terms of our storm seasons, that's really short. That's like really really short. Sometimes they'll go all day, and um, it's. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. Um, my week was was pretty good. Uh, you know, just kind of caught up with some movies to review. Um, there's a documentary called Meeting Gorbachev, which is about um, Werner Herzog and Mikhail Mer- uh, Gorbachev meeting. And uh, Herzog tries to ask him some really personal questions. Gorbachev's not having it. It's pretty good. And then uh, caught up with Palms, that dumb little uh, old people comedy about women becoming cheerleaders didn't like that also what are you you saying you do you hate old people (laughs) what if we have a bunch of like old people listening right now you just offended every single one of them how do you how do you respond to that (laughs) to quote tom haverford um they're like the old version of itunes just be the new version of itunes i'm just kidding um well said well said right uh and then I also caught up with Tolkien, which is obviously about J.R.R. Tolkien, which was a huge flop at the box office, um, not only just like in terms of its um, budget, but in terms of its size, uh, didn't do well. And it's a it's a it's a bit of a, uh, a bummer because it's pretty good um, kind of tracks Tolkien as he uh, gets, uh, you know, sort of encounters the sources of his inspiration for the uh, the Middle Earth uh, franchise and. All of that. It's uh, it's pretty good. So that and then uh, I did start watching The Boys. Uh, you recommended that last week. I, you know, just to let people know, I am unable to binge things. Generally speaking, um, I kind of did that with Downton Abbey, but that just kind of ended up being an opening. I didn't really have an opening to binge The Boys this week, um, but I am two episodes in and I'm really enjoying it. I'm probably going to watch another one tonight. We'll see. Uh, really good, dark, nihilistic, um, so far, and I, I have been told it only gets, it only gets happier. Um, so, yeah, started watching that. Other than that, not really much happened. So, anyway, that was, that was my week. What about yours? Uh, well, you know, just, uh, in general, uh, you know, it it was fine. Um, you know, it is what it is. It's another week in August, but my goodness, a lot of, uh, stuff was watched this week and, uh, I, yeah, I crammed a lot of content and and of course, uh, I dropped all these menu reviews on the podcast feed. So if you want to know, you know, more in depth thoughts, uh, they are there. Uh, you know, I saw scary stories to tell in the dark. I, I kind of enjoyed that. It was a nice little campfire movie. Uh, just, it, I think it's a wonderful introduction to horror uh, for like eight or nine year olds, and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, I, I think it's just like edgy enough to where like when if you watched it at that age, you like you feel like you're watching something that you're not supposed to, and um, enjoy that. And believe it or not, I thought the Angry Birds movie too 
was fine, but it was actually enjoyable, and I laughed a couple times, probably louder than I should have, so yeah, the world is turning upside down. Um, and then, of course, uh, Tuesday, I saw uh, Good Boys. Um, I uh, I thought the comedy was a little hit and miss, uh, more miss than hit, uh, trying a little bit too hard on the raunchy uh, jokes, but I really enjoyed the heart of the film and the kind of just growing up with friends at that age and knowing that you might be apart as you get older, but knowing that you can come back and uh, kind of pick up where you left off is, it's something we can all kind of relate to. And I, you know, I even did that with some of my, uh, you know, middle school friends and stuff. And, you know, I, I'm one of the lucky ones. I still hang out with them to this day, but, um, there are a few people that, you know, I, I did that with. So, but I, I really enjoyed that and, uh, fun time. And then, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ruin it. I'm not gonna ruin it, Joel. But <laughs> I saw Aquarella on Thursday. You're probably like, "What is this?" And um, it's a documentary about water. Um, that's it. Like, there's really nothing to it. But uh, I, I will keep my thoughts on that under wraps until that review drops on August 29th. I'm just going to say this. There is absolutely no way in heck that that movie is going to play well with American audiences at all. And so I'll be curious to see how it does when it opens that weekend. But, um, yeah, you can definitely tell someone from uh, 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 in Europe directed that thing because uh, American audiences are going to hate it. <laughs> I will just say that. Um and then, of course, on TV, on the TV front, I watched uh, all 10 episodes of Glow Season 3. I don't know if uh, anyone out there likes, you know, wrestling shows or anything about wrestling, uh, but this is based on a true story uh, of a actual Glow wrestling team in the 80s, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. And, you know, this one stars uh, Allison Brie, uh, Betty Gilpin, uh, which is you know, we're going to be talking about her in the news section here, but, uh, she's fantastic. Mark Marin is in it as their director. And, uh, this is a role that he is so natural in and he feels so comfortable in and he's just really fun to watch. It's a funny show. It's really got a, a lot of heart to it. The wrestling sequences are fun to watch. I've always enjoyed watching it. So if you were, you know, thinking about watching glow on Netflix, I'd say give it a shot. Um, it's it's a really really good show, and it left off on a really interesting cliffhanger. I'm like, Netflix. I gotta wait a whole year to find out for this stuff. This is why I hate binging, and this is why I hate myself. So, um, yeah, uh, finished Glow season three, and a couple of things before we uh, before we start the show. Uh, look out, uh, Joel and I were just talking about this uh, before we started recording. Look out for my uh, Nightingale review. Uh, it's gonna be dropping on Monday. Woof! Prepare yourself. It's um, uh, not the spoiler or anything, but it's some good stuff. Uh, and that thing is almost twenty minutes long. It is um, it is a heck of a movie. So, and the last thing, um, uh, l- listen, I always love reading comments uh to you guys, uh, whether I receive them on the podcast feed or my YouTube channel. I just love reading funny ones to you. Uh, so I. I I, I swear to you, I did not alter this in any way, shape, or form, but I got um, this comment on 
when I did the uh, Death of a Nation review uh, from uh, good old Dinesh D'Souza. Um, and I'm sure Joel's rolling his eyes right now. He's just like, oh, no, what is, what is the comment? So get this. Uh, I've actually never been called um, this word in my life, uh, but I, uh, I just think it's funny because you know that people, when they say this, they are definitely insecure. But this is how it... <laughs> This is how it uh, was uh, was sent. Uh, you can just tell by looking at this guy. He's a beta male. When he speaks it, he confirms it. He confirms it with his out-of-touch-with-reality point of view, as all betas do. And then I, rep- I responded, that's fair. Uh, and I moved on with my day. Uh, but <laughs> I just, like, someone <laughs> called me a beta male uh, from my point of view, of reality, so uh, and I read it as he he spelt it. By the way, I I didn't. Uh, it is definitely grammatically incorrect. But <laughs> so Joel, uh, I just wanted to um, take this opportunity to apologize to you and apologize to the viewers that I am a beta male and uh, I am out of touch with my reality and I've been living in the matrix for the past twenty nine years and I, I just wanted to let you know that I deeply apologize for uh, leading you on um, as an alpha male. I am, in fact, according to this guy, a beta male. So uh, I, I didn't want to uh, disturb you or make you feel upset or anything, but I just want to let you know that that is uh, what we're dealing with here. So Man, uh, you're, you're, you are not forgiven. All right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, first time I've been called a beta male. Uh, that's That was fun. All right. So, guys, uh, maybe – Besides one of the trailers I'm a little iffy on, this week was amazing for trailers. And Joel uh, can actually talk about most of them because he saw two of them. And one of them dropped that we saw four months ago. And uh, uh, I just want to kind of let you guys know that it was uh, out there and give you the date on everything. And speaking of that, the first trailer that I want to talk about is uh, The Death of Dick Long. Uh, It finally has dropped a trailer and dropped a release date it is September 27th here in the states, and um, I gotta tell you, for the mystery and the running joke that is that movie, they hit it pretty well in the trailer, and it's actually a pretty well edited trailer, uh, keeping the mystery uh, looming throughout the entire thing while also being super foul and super um, R-rated. It, it is a red band trailer. It sets up the premise. It gives you a sense of how these guys interact with one another and how they interact with their wives and just people around the town. And uh, like I said, keeping the mystery alive and really kind of uh, head-scratching because you're like, what is this movie about? Yeah, but they, indi- they really, indicate nothing in this trailer. They, I, I know. It's it's kind of amazing that uh, they hid everything. And I thought it was actually – for a movie that Joel and I have seen already – it is a well-executed trailer, and I really hope people see this movie. And so there's really nothing more I can say about it. You guys already know our thoughts on this movie. If you listen to the um, Dallas International Film Festival uh, episode uh, back w- in April, which is four months ago, by the way, which is blowing my mind. We saw it that long ago. But, Joel, you saw the trailer. Did you think um, they executed very well uh, in that regard with its marketing? Yeah, I think that they underplay just a little bit how much of a comedy it is. Um, right. I, th- I think that they lean into the mystery so much that it makes it look like it's drama. But this this is kind of a comedy of errors because a lot of it is them uh, – or one of them trying to hide his involvement and hide everything that's going on. And it's and it goes way out of – like it, it just 
It's spiral to to <laughs> to quote Michael Scott and use the wrong phrase. It spirals out of a muck, um, and it's it's uh, spirals out of control, goes completely off the rails in that in that attempt. And and then of course there's the you know what's at the center of this, um, you know what happened to Dick Long and um, and all of that. So I think that they they may have leaned a little bit heavily into the drama because this thing is like a cross section of the Coen brothers and Kevin Smith. Um, I also noticed a little bit of Yorgos Lanthimos in there, um, kind right. of very, um, very much a closed world kind of thing because it only exists within this very small community. You don't go outside of that community or the city, even the town village, whatever you want to call it. Um, and maybe a little bit of Jeremy Saulnier, uh, the director of like green room and stuff, because there's some, there's some shocking stuff in it. Um, yeah. for sure. And, and, and everyone plays it so straight too. Like this yes. is, this is one of those like absurd punchlines that when they say it out loud, like we, I remember like when we sat in the audience, everyone was very uncomfortable. We like, do we laugh? Do we cry? Like, what do we do? And like everyone in the movie was playing it so straight, which made it funnier because they were so serious about it. And it just, it was such a hoot. I, I, I they, was yeah. And in fact, actually in the trailer, the only thing that they have in the trailer that re, that is that surrounds this the the solution to the central mystery is a reaction to it right um, right at the very very end and that is basically the movie itself in a nutshell yeah um, <laughs> it, it, the 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 degree to which that person is reacting the expression on her, on her face um all of that is extremely accurate and, uh, I think the best way to put this movie, and I, uh, we're not going to take credit for it because it's on the poster and it was quoted by someone else, but it's like a backwoods noir. Like that's yeah. exactly what it is. And uh, uh, yeah, it's if you had to ask Joel and I straight up, what was the best thing we saw at the film festival this year? It's one hundred percent this. And so, oh, yeah. we can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, it comes, it's a twenty four, so um, they are known for picking interesting projects. So uh, please, and, please, and- please give it a shot if you're interested. And also this week is when Chase and I learned that it was actually coming out this year because before this week, it didn't really have a release date that we knew right. of. So we can now count this um, yes. toward the end of the year, and it's and it would currently definitely show up. Yeah. Um, I'm excited so, to see it again because we're going we're gonna to get an invite, and yeah, I'm going to take my fiancé to it. A, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you'll probably get a screener maybe, but I, I don't maybe. know if they're going to push this. But, uh, but yeah, it's um, – it's fantastic. So, yeah. so if uh, if you guys were curious about it and you saw the trailer, um, you know we we recommend it, and it comes out uh, at the end of next month. Also, another trailer, it, and this thing has been just been exploding on the the festival circuit, and I'm hoping I can get to it because uh, I missed my chance last year with the last. Um, uh, it, it was uh, Joel was shoplifters neon. Yes. Okay, so I missed my la- No, uh, uh no, wait. Was that Neon? I think that that was um I think that that was Sony Pictures Classics. Yeah, you're right. Um I don't know why I missed it, but I I'm I'm hoping I don't miss another uh a Korean film that it looks like it's going to just destroy um, that won the Palm Door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like destroy yeah. all top 10 lists and stuff. I want to check this one out and give it a fair shot for um the end of the year list. But this one is Parasite, and uh, is from the director of uh, Oakjaw, uh, which you know came out. Um, uh, what was it? Two was it two years ago? Yeah, yeah, two years ago. Wow, uh, <laughs> wow, time is flying. Uh, Snowpiercer, The Host, uh, Mother, um, 
uh, let me let me try, Joel. You know I'm terrible with. Let me try. Is it Jun Ho Bong? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I will pat myself on the back for that. Anyways, uh, that gentleman has uh, brought us a lot of different styles of uh, films, uh, whether it be in uh, uh, in Korea or over here in the states. Um, he always uh, picks really interesting projects. This one. I cannot wait for. Uh, this one tells the story of uh, the main character's unemployed. Uh, she doesn't really know where to go, and she picks up this kind of um, babysitting slash caretaker job at this rich family's house. And so the longer she stays there, the more she realizes that this family is just weird, and um, a lot of stuff is happening, but not a lot of stuff is happening because this trailer hides everything. Just like with the trailer of The Death of Dick Long, I have no idea where this story is going to go. And even one of the trailer or one of the critic quotes was like, you expect one thing, but it takes like a sharp right turn and it's something else. I'm, I'm excited for that. I love uh, slow burn uh, suspenseful thrillers that, you know, you think it's going to go one way, but it's just going to kind of twist itself and go in a different way. Whether it be uh, story wise, genre wise, I have no clue, which gets me even more excited. It's gotten a lot of critical acclaim. Like Joel has stated, this trailer was just, it was edited with kind of that slow burn where you strike the match and you watch the, the flame go out. And then by the time the title revealed at the end of the trailer, I was sold. I'm in. Oh, I cannot wait for this. So, uh, and especially since it's neon, I do know for a fact uh, we will get it um, because one, we have a bunch of art house theaters around here. And two, I know that like the Alamo Draft House is very favorable of neon and their movies and stuff. And so, uh, I will have plenty of opportunities to see it uh, with a lot of theaters around here, so there is no uh, excuses time, but Parasite looks like just a heck of a good time and a really kind of great exercise in uh, uh, suspenseful thriller filmmaking. So, oh boy, I cannot wait. And now, I know that, Joel, you're looking forward to it, but you still do not want to see the trailer to this one, right? Right. I'm going to I'm gonna, oh, man. I'm gonna put it off, yeah. Oh, I, I am uh, I am envious, sir. Uh, so yeah, Parasite looks fantastic coming from Neon. Now, the last trailer before we get into the two that Joel actually did see, um, and this one is just kind of like whatever. Um, I have some expectations for it because of the writer, but other than that, I don't care. Um, last, Cri- last Christmas, um, this one is directed by Paul Feig, and it's written by Emma Thompson. Stars Emma Thompson, Amelia Clark, Michelle Yeoh, and Henry Golding. And uh, this one focuses on Amelia Clark's character. She is a woman that has a bunch of bad decisions in her life, and so her life is just spiraling out of control. And she meets um, Henry Golding's character, and they kind of strike up a romance, maybe a friendship, who knows? Uh, and they just walk around town and t- talk about their feelings. Uh, you know, as far as like romantic comedy standards go. Looks fine, um, but Emma Thompson does kind of raise my interest just a hair, just because she is a really great writer. She's a great uh, actress, and you know uh, I thought she was phenomenal in Late Night this year. So I think I'm just going to ride that high and walk into this and go, all right, just give me, I guess, a, a breezy little romantic comedy, and we'll call it a day. Uh, maybe it'll be something different. Maybe she will take conventional norms of the genre and spin it on its head. I have no clue. Um, but it, it is nice to see Henry Golding in something. I, I liked him in Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, I caught up with The Simple Favor a few months ago. Loved him in that. 
So he's on a roll right now, and of course, you know, you know, casting like GI <laughs> Joe and stuff. Like he, he's ever since I saw Crazy Rich a- Asians, I was like, dude, this guy's gonna explode. Like he's going to get so many offers, it's gonna be insane. Uh, and then of course, Amelia Clark. This is her first uh, film role after uh, the last season of Game of Thrones. So hopefully, this is good for her. But yeah, it looks it looks whatever. Um, really, really nothing more to say. Uh, Paul Feig definitely needs a win. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think after Ghostbusters, that pretty much beat him down to a pulp. Um, and of course, he did a simple favor, but not a lot of people uh, really saw that. It was a, it was a moderate uh, hit, but uh, that was way better than uh, Ghostbusters and everything. So who knows? Uh, Paul Feiger is a mysterious uh, character for sure. So um, that is the last uh, trailer I will talk about solo. Let's dive in to the uh, uh, two trailers that. Uh, Joel and I both saw, and we're going to start with uh, Terrence Malick because uh, you know you know we got it in with the Greta Gerwig one. I mean that's just that's just how it goes. Um, but this one uh, is directed by Terrence Malick, and it's called A Hidden Life. Now this one is about a uh, an Austrian uh, a person who uh, is refusing to fight for uh, the Nazis in World War II. And uh, I think Joel put it best, and I'll let him describe it a little bit more because he's seen way more Malick movies than I have. But um, uh, when when we were talking in our group in our group chat, uh, Joel was like, "It looks really moving," and it does. It looks like a really just emotionally moving human story about good versus evil. And you know, with Malik, he uh, he's got this wonderful visual eye uh, and how he shoots his films. Very uh, kind of fisheye wide shots. It's 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 unique cinematography, and that's always his stamp. Um, and it always, uh, just, just works. It's like this free floating kind of dreamlike cinematography that he always, uh, shoots with. It, it looks great. It looks like a, uh, a different Malik movie than what we're used to. Um, uh, especially, you know, with, with the times that we're living in now with all the hate and all the, you know, unfortunate Nazis that are walking around our streets right now, you know, it's, it's very relevant to today. And so that's also going to, you know, take a nerve with people on an emotional level, but it just looks, it looks beautiful. It it looks like just a a beautiful, uh, human story that, uh, I I cannot wait to see. I I have nothing more to add. Uh, I'm just looking forward to it, uh, from Fox searchlight. So there you go. Disney, you got a, uh, a, uh, um, uh, an end with the Oscars with this movie for sure. I think uh, Malik has a good shot. If it is as good as uh, this trailer perceives us to be, um, Malik has a good shot at uh, a, a directing slot with this one. I, I truly believe it. Um, you know, I might see other films this year that'd be like, uh, maybe, maybe he's like sixth or seventh. But if if I had to select a five right now, he's got a good shot with this movie. And so, um, yeah. Really looking forward to this one. So, Joel, you saw this one. Uh, how does this one um, hold up for you? And, you know, in terms of, like, other Malick movies, you know, does this one look different, look more on his uh, his par? Like, what are you thinking? It certainly looks more different than anything he's done since um, The New World, which was his film in 2005. Um, it was his kind of Pocahontas story told from the perspective of John Smith, who was played by Christian Bale in that. Um, this is really interesting because I think that um, it's really the kind of the first, and the reason I said that, by the way, is because this seems to be the first one tethered to a to an actual plot, 
like a like a traditionally played out plot. Oh, you mean um, you mean not like song to song where it's song. just showing Michael Fassbender uh, doing drugs and following Ryan Gosling for whatever reason? Is is that what you're saying? Right. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Um, so, ever since the Tree of Life, he's kind of been on this um, this role of uh, very impressionistic storytelling where he kind of moves from visual idea to visual idea, lots of um, whispered narration, all of that. It really worked well in, um, in the tree of life. I think that it, it worked less well in to the wonder and night of cups. Although I, I do like both of those. And then, and then song to song was a misstep. Um, so I don't think that he's made a great movie since the tree of life. Although definitely, I mean, I recently talked about it on my top 10 of 2011 list. It's a great movie. Um, I've also seen I've seen everything of his except for Badlands, which was his um, his debut, and uh, I still need I'm going to catch up with this uh, with that one before this. I think that this looks gorgeous, very emotional. Um, it's definitely going to have his trademark poetry. Uh, you know, he's working with Lubeski here, and of course that's going to be really striking. Lots of uh, unconventional shot setups and and all of that, although co- conventional I guess now for for Malik. Um, you know, lots of really like Dutch angles, lots of, um, lots of stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I, I just think it looks gorgeous. It's in the story. Like you said, uh, it has a, uh, has a, sadly has a relevance to today. Um, I would, I would contest that this is a lock for this year's Oscars because I don't think that it's, coming out this year i think that it's still i think it's coming out next year but um because it doesn't have currently a u.s release date i know it has uh showings at festivals and stuff and i think it's been released overseas or it's being released in france in in october or something like that i don't think that it has a release date here yet um you know malik takes his time with stuff so i wouldn't be surprised if he goes back into the editing room and all of that Oh yeah, because it, it's a uh, seven minutes shy of a three-hour-long film, and so I, I I can see it being that length, and some distributor over here getting it, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, someone sees this at the next festival and they try to push it for like an end of this December release so they can reach that deadline. I would yeah. not be surprised. Yeah, definitely. I mean. Uh, I guess the only thing working against it is the fact that his last three movies came out in, uh, I think, like the March-April arena. So it might be that that's it's headed for that. Um, we'll definitely see. I'm I'm certainly going to see this in theaters if I can. Um, the one that I was not able to see in theaters was Night of Cups. Um, I was I had to watch that at home, but um, or no, I'm sorry, no, it was To the Wonder. To the Wonder, I had to I had to watch at home. I saw Night of Cups in theaters, and of course we saw Song to Song together. Um, yeah, I'm definitely seeing this. It looks, it looks beautiful for sure. And, yeah, uh, I, I, I am stoked and I, yeah. I know for the it next... also has the last roles for, um, Bruno Gans who, and, uh, Mikhail, uh, Nikvist. and because they died, I think just this past year or, um, Nikvist died maybe last year. I know Gans died earlier this year, but it's interesting. So Bruno Gans played Hitler in a movie uh, called Downfall. I own, I haven't seen that one, um, but that's what he, uh, I mean, he kind of came into into being because of Vim Vin, Vin Vendors who put him in uh, Wings of, um, 
Wings of Desire. So he's been around for a while. But the movie that kind of um, defined his later career was actually playing Hitler in a movie. And then uh, and then Nikvist was was the um, was I guess what was his name? Um, Daniel Craig's original counterpart in Girl with the Dragon Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, and he was also the villain in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Um, it, they both they both passed away, unfortunately, but they did shoot this movie before before passing. And so it'll have both of their um, final roles or some of their final roles, I guess. It also has uh, the main guy is August Deal, who played he was in Inglorious Bastards. He was the guy who recognized the Fassbender character for what he was because of the fingers. Um, that he holds up, so people will recognize him from that. And uh, I think that those are really the only big names, or not big names, uh, recognizable faces that people will know. Um, but anyway, this is all shot in in Austria, as far as I know. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a fantastic trailer for sure. Yeah, and I, I know for the last one that we're about to talk about, you, you are just <laughs> ecstatic over the moon and. Uh, uh, I, I will go ahead and introduce it and butcher everything so you can just correct me. Because um, I, I know that you're more uh, well-adversed with the, the source material. I am not because I don't read a lot of books, unfortunately. I probably should. But uh, the next one uh, is uh, Little Women. This one comes from Sony. And uh, they are having a heck of a year. And uh, I cannot believe that they're going to end strong with this one. But this one is directed by Greta Gerwig. And Joel, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the this is the th- fourth adaptation of it i'm actually i came to the wikipedia page to look that very thing up because i was going to say what it was um so okay one yeah if if i'm going through my head correctly five six oh wow (laughs) um (laughs) it is the eighth adaptation for film God bless you, Greta Gerwig. Yeah, so there was there were two randomly enough there were two versions in the 1910s, there were silent versions. One was made by Britain, one by America. Then George Cukor had one uh, in 1933, Mervyn Leroy in 1949, David Lowell Rich in 1978. Uh, the most well-known one and available one is probably Gillian Armstrong's version in 1994, which had a bunch of really famous names. An early role for Christian Bale um, had Claire Danes, Kirsten Dunst, Winona Ryder, uh, Eric Stoltz, uh, Susan Sarandon, um, let's see, uh, Gabriel Byrne, Trini Alvarado, lots of really uh, popular, famous faces, and uh, fantastic, got probably the best reviews of any of them. It's also been, a, oh, and then uh, there was one last year that was a modernized version that was made by, um, uh, I think, was it, yeah, Pureflix made it, although it was one of their best reviewed movies it's got um leah thompson and lucas grabeel and then there's a bunch there's been a bunch of adaptations for tv including one that co-starred um my hawk from little from uh from stranger things this uh, was an early role for her um there's been musicals for it there's been an audio drama there's been stage adaptations this thing has been this thing has been adapted all over the place um and of course that, yeah, that so just shows the, you that it's still popular even to this day yes like, and, and the crazy. book and the and the book still flies off shelves. I, I was actually – I bought uh, a copy of it because I, I owned one a while ago, and I don't know where it went. It probably was lost in a move. So I rebought it. Um, I think it was the Barnes & Noble Classic. And whenever I bought it, I was like 
man, I, you know, I, uh, to the, to the person I was buying it from, um, the, the, um, the cashier, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, doing this cause they're, they're doing another movie. This is way back when it was still in production, I think. And she said, oh man, yeah, I mean, that's, it's going to be a really popular movie because this thing still flies off shelves. So it's a very, still a very popular book. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Something about it just connects to people. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be rewatching and bu- buying and rewatching the, uh, the 94 version, which I haven't seen since VHS. Um, and in, in preparation for this, and I think I'm going to try to knock out the book again too. Uh, I haven't started that. <laughs> I should probably start that. But, uh, but yeah, it is, it is very, very popular still. Yeah, and the fact that, I mean, because I was reading the trivia, uh, I'll, I'll get into my thoughts on the trailer in just a second, but I was reading the trivia here, and Sony hired Greta to write a new uh, screen adaptation for the, for the novel, but they kept rejecting her drafts. It wasn't until Lady Bird was successful, she got nominated, and all of the critical uh, acclaim and success that's when they were like, okay, we'll use our script now. And so if Lady Bird was not successful, this movie would have never been made uh, because this movie has been struggling for the longest time. But now that she has that clout, uh, which is fantastic, she can push that to make these films. And so, uh, yeah, if Lady Bird was not successful, this movie would have never seen the light of day. So congratulations on that. But if you don't know what Little Women is about, it it's about four sisters that come to come to age in uh, you know in America in the aftermath of the Civil War. Um, I embarrassingly have not seen uh, any of the other adaptations or even read the book, so there you go. Uh, shows you my knowledge. But this one stars Florence Pugh, uh, Emma Watson, Timothy Chalamet, Saoirse Ronan, Meryl Streep, Laura Dern. Uh, James Norton, Bob Odenkirk, uh, Tra- Tracy Letts, Eliza Scanlon, Chris Cooper. This thing is incredible. I mean, she was able to wrangle uh, not only some of her Lady Bird alums, but like other big name uh, people. And uh, I just think it's funny because it's also it's about American women. Uh, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh are British. Uh, Saoirse Ronan <laughs> is Irish, and Eliza. Uh, Conlon is uh, Australian, so that's also really cool. Um, but yeah, uh, the trailer looks—it it looks really nice. Um, really utilizing the the time period for its production value and cinematography, and just making it this really kind of gorgeous adventure of these women really kind of rising to power and you know finding their voice, and um, it just looks really inspirational and uh, really looks like a, a a film that's going to. This thing is going to – if people underestimate movies, uh, you know, do not underestimate this one. This is going to do very well uh, releasing on Christmas. Uh, it, it is going to be a family film, something that everyone can enjoy. It's going to hit all the quadrants of what businesses are looking for when they release movies. Like is it going to appeal to this age demographic and this age demographic, this gender, um, you know, whatever – this is a movie that's going to appeal to everyone, and uh, I think this trailer really kind of sells that. It's going to be the wonderful, inspirational holiday movie of the year, and uh, I think the trailer does that pretty well. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm going to hand it over to Joseph because you know he's got a lot riding on this. Lady Bird was his favorite film of 2017. He's been looking forward to this since pretty much the, the day it was announced, Um so Joel, take it away. Did this trailer deliver? And uh, are you looking forward to it even more now? 
Oh, it's it's fantastic. Uh, I'm already I've already decided that this is my favorite film of the year. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I haven't. But uh, <laughs> Joel, it's not even September yet. Let, <laughs> let's calm down there for a second. Uh, I can't wait. It, it just it looks wonderful. I love that that he basically or uh, that um, he wow okay she basically casts these characters and then they talk in um, just kind of modern day accents, which I think is really interesting. Um, rather than going for kind of the, the traditional old timey accents, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. And although it is set in new England, so I guess that, that makes sense. But, um, if you've seen a couple of these other, um, adaptations, uh, they, (laughs) they for some reason go with Southern accents. I don't know why, but, uh, but they do that. And, and I'm glad to see that they're not doing that here. They do change it up a little bit, um, where, uh, I think it's like Joe is, tr- uh, who's played by Ronan, is trying to uh, write a novel. I don't think that that's something that she's doing in the original novel. Um, at least I don't remember that part of it. But, um, but in any case, it is, it is a fantastic trailer. It's visually beautiful. This one comes from a cinematographer named York Lasso who wrote, um, or wrote, well, I'm, I'm looking at the, I should just lo- stop doing this. I'm looking at the, um, the Wikipedia page for little women's and, and I keep coming across the word, right. And also that's where I got the word he, because I'm just, I'm distracting myself anyway. Um, York Lasso, he shot, um, stuff for Olivia Asias, including Claus of Sils Maria, personal shopper. He did high life for, uh, for Claire Denis, I think he works with Denis a lot. Actually, he also shot I Am Love for Luca Guadagnino um, back in the day. So, yeah, it's going to look gorgeous. Uh, the the um, production design looks amazing. That's from some heavy hitters too. There's a score from Alexandre Desplat. She's she's getting some she's getting some pretty uh, pretty impressive people behind the camera too. And um, and I'm telling you, I think that this is probably probably the one to beat for best picture i'm just gonna say it right now i think that this is the one with the highest chance um you know it's not doing any any festivals which might you know make some people nervous but i don't think it needs it um i think that this is going to be a huge hit anyway it's going to be right there on the uh, the immediate thoughts of the academy um as they go to see stuff late in the year and um yeah, I mean, it just looks it looks beautiful. Ronan looks on top of her game. Um, this is this is uh, ultimately Joe's story, I think. So um, yeah, I, I can't wait, and I can't wait to see how everybody else does. Emma Watson is looks really good. I mean, we barely see any of her in the in the trailer. We see more of the other sisters. Um, she's a bit questionable when it comes to an american accent so it's going to be interesting to see her tackle that uh the best one she's done is the um the sort of the valley girl californian accent in the bling ring but uh she struggled with perks of being a wallflower she struggled with a couple of other things um in the past like that but uh but i can't wait to see what what she does in this in the in the story in the context of this kind of story really excited for that um, yeah, just everything about this hits for me. It's a, it's an amazing cast, and uh, not only those, but there's also um, a French actor, <laughs> interestingly enough, who's in this, named Louis Garrel, 
uh, who is the son, and he's a director himself, by the way. He's made a lot of black and white uh, kind of dry romantic comedies in France. I've watched one of them called Jealousy uh, back in 2014. Pretty good. Um, and he is the son of kind of one of the um, the most prominent like 60s to 70s era French filmmakers, Philippe Garel. So she's kind of roping in, you know, international voices too, not only with, you know, York Lousseau is French, um, the cinematographer. And anyway, she's just kind of pulling in resources from all over the world and it's, and it's pretty, uh, it's pretty awesome. So I can't wait. I, I'm, I just, I'm more excited for this even than the laser sword movie, um, that's coming out a few days earlier. Um, cause man, it's, this is my jam. It's, uh, and the reason that it's my jam is because it's directed by Greta Gerwig. So I'm telling you, it could be, it could very well be that we're seeing, um, a married couple get nominated in each of the screenplay categories because we've got this, which Gerwig wrote and adapted from the novel, uh, the Louisa May Alcott novel. And then you have a marriage story from Noah Baumbach, which could very well be a major player too. And that could go into original screenplay. So yeah, should be interesting to see how this, uh, how this all holds up. It's, it's still my most anticipated movie of the year. So there you go. All right. Well, uh, what was your favorite trailer? Would you say? Uh, I, I think <sighs> Parasite. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, All right. it, it had the same vibe as like a like a Funny Games almost, and mm-hmm. uh, those films are rarely put out nowadays. Kind of like those. So, like, I yeah, I'm, that that's that's my jam. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. All right, fan fam. Fam. I meant to say folks, and I was also trying to say fam, so I'm sorry, wow. folks. Uh, <laughs> that, that was probably one of the worst flubs that you've ever had on the yes. history of this show. Yeah, it People calls for my firing. This day. Um, all right, we got to talk about some news. So a couple of things happened that were really controversial. I'm going to get to those last. First, I'm going to talk about the smaller news. Uh, first, I'm going to talk about this, which is one of the weirdest stories I've ever heard of. Um. So Crawl just came out, the movie about killer crocodiles uh, or alligators, whatever, in uh, in a Florida storm. Really good movie, a lot of fun. And you have that director, Alexandra Aja, who also did Piranha, Hills of Eyes, remake, uh, High Tension, other stuff. Now he's prepping for his next uh, project, and it seems that he's going to be doing an interactive horror film now, basically what this means is it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure-style choose horror film. Um, so here's, here's how this works, and it's actually been done once before. I, before, I, before I say what it is, Chase, do you remember hearing about this at all in any way? Um, have I ever told you about this movie, the, the movie that already exists? Uh, I don't think think so okay that's because nobody's ever seen it uh i mean since it came out it was never released on any sort of physical media um and it was a huge enormous flop i think actually one of the most um infamous flops of the 90s it was called mr payback and basically you went in and then you pressed a series of buttons 
to choose what happened next in the story, which was um, a very like crude thing where it, it, a lot of it depended on physical violence. I never saw it, but it has one of the most infamous e- uh, Siskel and Ebert reviews, and I think that one of them even put it on his uh, – maybe at the top or on his list of the worst films of 1994, um, which is when it came out. And it's never been tried since then because of a very simple reason, guys. And that is the fact that movies are not video games. And if you have an interactive horror film, you have a video game. Let's be clear here. You may not be playing a game in a traditional sense of the term where you're trying to uh, you know, learn some sort of thing um, to do with like um, uh, you know, trying to achieve a goal in that way. But you are essentially playing a game. You're pressing buttons in order for it to to go to the next thing. Plus, like, is this going to be in theaters? Um, I, I assume not, just because we're we're past the point where just theaters re- release movies. It's probably going to be like Netflix or something. But this is a terrible idea. I don't think that this is going to translate at all to people. Um, I think that people want to 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 like experience a movie not interact with it and i don't know just putting the movie in the the hands of the watchers of it who still have a finite uh you know kind of number of choices of what what to go with next it's you know you're writing a lot on whether or not those choices are interesting and well and well executed i think and i don't think the people are that trusting i think this is going to be um, a major disaster, honestly, but, um, it is infinitely, it is, it is impossibly interesting that this is happening. Um, so Chase, what do you think about this? Yeah. I'm wondering if, uh, Spielberg or whoever, uh, is like the next highest person over there at Amblin Entertainment. I'm wondering if they actually like caught wind of the numbers that, uh, uh, Bandersnatch was on, uh, on Netflix and if it was popular or not because that was the last kind of interactive choose your own adventure thing and it was on Netflix it was perfectly suitable for that I had a fun time with it uh, my fiance and I spent like three hours uh, watching that thing it was only like an hour and like 15 minute movie but we kept either dying or we wanted to go back and try different options and stuff so it was just like it was a fun little little afternoon and so did someone see that and was just like, we should make this into an actual theater experience? And my second question, like, how is this going to work? Like, I, I don't. So uh, from what I understand, um, and this this doubly kind of makes it fascinating to consider, which is why I think it's probably going to be on a streaming service. Um, in Mr. Payback. Uh, and it, apparently it was a very long experience. The movie, um, I think that you were in that theater for about two and a half hours ultimately, right? Is what I remember, um, the, the reports being of. So what happened was you press this series of buttons as many as you could, as many times as you could. And then a system like in the theater collects the, the buttons and then tallies the responses and chooses the one that's chosen the most and then plays that scene next. 
So interestingly enough, if you were in the theater and you wanted to see some other scene, sometimes you weren't able to because it wasn't chosen. <laughs> so it was kind of a weird experience. It wasn't even within your hands, even though it was choose your own adventure. It was putting it in the in the hands of the the audience. So maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe something like this can can actually thrive in a uh, in a in a straight to you know streaming um, platform because you're sitting there with your own thing. Even if you have other people there, you can kind of you know put it to a vote. You know what do we want to watch next? What scene? And then choose it. But still, it's like I just I don't know. It's just it's just very weird to me that it's, basically you're not weird, letting. But I. I will tell you, if it is successful by any stretch of the imagination, oh my God, they have opened up a a crevice in this industry to be like, yeah, we should do more of the choose your own adventure ones. I, so it could be a complete flop, it could be a complete success, but I think it's interesting that they want to give it a shot. How is it going to be actually feasible, especially in today's times where people are on the phone like every 20 minutes in the theater? I don't know how that's going to go, but... Um, I don't. I had fun with Bandersnatch, so I'm willing to give it a shot. I guess I don't know how to feel about it. It's just weird. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. All right, so this next one is kind of um, Disney being Disney, and we're about to talk about Disney again um, after this. But it's really interesting in the context of the next story um, that this one happen is happening. So Aladdin, of course, is an enormous hit. Um, why? I don't know. Apparently people are seeing it and telling other people to see it. I don't know. It's baffling to me. Maybe it's the pull of Will Smith. I'm not sure what's going on. Terrible movie, though, and it's getting a sequel. Um, They are developing a sequel to this. So it should be noted that the original movie actually did have a sequel. In fact, it had two sequels. Um, Both of them were direct-to-video. One of them was The Return of Jafar. That uh, that one's not good. Uh, Not a good movie. Uh, very flat, didn't have Robin Williams because he didn't want to come back after some trouble with Disney uh, after the first one and um, and all of that, although he was ultimately coaxed back for the third movie. The third movie's good. Uh, it's Aladdin and the King of Thieves. That's, uh, I mean, it's not nearly as good as the first one, but it is pretty good. It's a pretty good sequel. It's one of those rare instances of a second direct-to-video sequel being better than the first sequel and also being actually good, uh, the other I would actually uh, uh, argue is Cinderella 3, which is really good. Way better than whatever the second movie was trying to do. So, of course, they're trying to do a second one. Now, there's no word yet on whether or not they're just doing a live-action remake of The Return of Jafar. Um, but it should be interesting. It, you know, What should be interesting is if they do that. Um, because, and, and, and honestly, I'm worried because really not a great story there. Um, I barely remember what happens, but I know, you know, obviously Jafar returns and, and stuff happens and it's very boring. The the third one was much better. Um, but I will say that this, this gives me a good opportunity to, to, um, to tell a joke. So, this is one of my this is one of my signature awful jokes. Chase is gonna want to throw me out. All right, Chase, are you ready? Uh, not really, but uh, uh, go ahead and entertain yourself. Okay, so of course they had the first movie. It was incredibly successful. 
Now, this second movie is probably going to go straight to streaming, sort of like how the first one went to uh, direct-to-video, right? So, net, but they're going to have to get somebody less, maybe maybe less traditionally successful than Will Smith to play it because, of course, he's going to refuse to come back. So they're going to get somebody like, I don't know, Kevin Hart to come in, fill the role. Then when they get to making the third one, they're going to have to get him back and they're going to have to coax him back and then he'll come back for the third one. And it'll be really awkward and nobody will ever mention the fact that like the voice of Homer Simpson filling in for the the uh, for Robin Williams in the second Aladdin movie, nobody's going to nobody's going to mention the fact that Will Smith was not in the second one. Nobody's ever going to remember that. And it's going to just. Yeah. So that's my that's my joke. <laughs> You know, Joel, uh, if you ever want to, like, just tell your parents that you want to be a stand-up comedian, just don't. <laughs> I, I would I would advise you to stick on whatever path you want to stick on in life. Just don't do that. Um, so we'll work on your delivery uh, uh, shortly. Um, I don't care. I, I really yeah. don't. I, like, this is – listen, it, it really depresses me because uh, we're – God, we're about to talk about Disney again. Um I looked at the top five films of uh, the year so far. Four of them are Disney. <laughs> uh, one of them is Disney affiliate. And even uh, the sixth spot is a Disney film, and that's Aladdin. And it, it really depresses me because it's it's going to give Disney permission to keep doing these movies as long as they keep making the insane amounts of money that they are making. And it it's really it just breaks my soul it breaks my heart to even just see stuff like this being made cuz you know people are going to eat it up and they're not going to not going to question it they're just going to be like oh it's disney i trust them and it's just like we got to stop that cuz you have to uh you got to be critical when when it is necessary but you can't just blindly just watch these things because of nostalgia it just it's upsetting um if it's better, it's better, but I'm pretty sure after the wonderful uh, experience I had with that one and The Lion King, and I just, I'm done with them. I just, sure. And, and I'm sure we're going to have to review it, too, and uh, I can't wait to uh, bring out the big guns and just punch it left and right and just take it down to the ground. So, yeah, I'm not looking forward to it, but uh, I'm sure we'll have to talk about it eventually. So, there you go. That's my thoughts. <laughs> All right, so in the within the context of them deciding that a sequel to Aladdin is what we need, um, it's really interesting to report this next story, which is kind of an overall statement of the the times that we live in, the culture. Um, Disney, of course, bought Fox. I don't know if anybody knew that. Um, it was it was a it was obviously the biggest story in the industry of the last several decades, probably. This huge merger that is now not going so well for what was formerly just 20th Century Fox. Um, they are not happy with the numbers uh, that the movies have been making in the last couple of years, particularly since the merger was announced, which is very interesting. You should, you'd think they'd be like paying closer attention and not just now questioning this, but. They're they're not questioning this, and uh, it's put a couple of movies directly in their line of sight. So, one, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see 
like how a, a, a hidden life is uh, released because that's Fox Searchlight, and um, it's going to be interesting to see um, how Jojo Rabbit does, particularly after the news that they are really nervous about it for some reason, even though it's a movie that's uh, making fun of Nazis. Apparently, they're really somebody was really uncomfortable or something during a during a uh, a test screening one of the executives and they were really uncomfortable. So now that movie which was supposed to come out in in October is sort of in uh, in limbo or maybe in limbo. I think it's still I think that they've still got a release date, but it's it's kind of on that on the edge there of them just saying no and doing exactly what Universal did this week. We'll get to that later on. Um but there's also news of them being really unimpressed with the test screen or the the early cut of the New Mutants, which has been delayed, what like six years at this point, um, something like that. Seems like you, that. I think you and I were graduating high school at the time. Yes, yeah, something like that. It was uh, it was around two decades ago. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so yeah, they're not they're not happy with that. And this thing has already been delayed like three or four times. Speaking seriously, it's supposed to come out in April now. Um, we'll see if they they decide to just axe it. Um, however, all of this basically comes to them acquiring this company and then now pushing all of the kinds of movies that they make right out the window because they don't make enough money, which is just, you know, it's just proof that Disney only cares about the, the dollar, the bottom line, if it works, they're not going to fix it. Um, even if it's technically broken because nobody likes them doing it, they're not going to do anything about it because it's making them money, and it's really, really annoying. Um, and this is not the only case of a studio being cowardly. I'll just say it, cowardly. Um, we're about to get into another one, but first, Chase, what do you think about all of this? Oh boy, this is a lot to take in. So with the Jojo Rabbit situation, it is an anti-hate film about Hitler. What is so uncomfortable about that? Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is you literally, Disney, are you listening? Sit down. I, I, I don't know if uh, I, I should uh, embrace you for this uh, impact here. You have a movie coming out next week. That has to do with a family playing like violent hunting games. Like, and this is making you uncomfortable, but you're okay with releasing that. I have no problem with violent movies. I love violent movies. But I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite and be like, well, we should release this thing because it's uh, it's a little less violent. Uh, but uh, we can release that thing because it's uh, just as violent. It's like, what? Like, and, and first of all, Jojo Rabbit is PG-13. So, honestly, like, how edgy is it? You have Ready or Not coming out in seven days, and that is a rated R violent film that you're okay with. Sure, makes sense to me. Um, it, I, why is it, it... Like, if you've seen Taika Waititi's Twitter line, he is obviously a man that does not give a flying F about uh, showing any good light on Hitler. It's going to be a complete bashing him of him. So, like, what are you what are you scared of? Are you scared that you have a bunch of Nazi sympathizers 
uh, as Disney fans that you're going to upset? Like, it makes no sense to me. And the last thing with that is that a lot of people that are outside of the movie sphere, like, I don't know if you guys know this, um, but Joel and I are aware that we live in a bubble. If we asked our parents right now, hey, uh, do you want to go see this Fox movie? Do you think their first reaction is going to be like, I don't know, as a Disney fan, I don't know if that's going to really uh, help help uh, you know, my, my love of Disney and my um, diminish it a little bit. Are you serious? A lot of people don't even know that Fox is under Disney. If they keep the Fox logo going, they're just going to assume it's a Fox film. So there's going to be Disney fans out there that's not going to even care that uh, Fox or Fox Searchlights releasing a movie about uh, Nazis. They're not. Just and and th- this is dangerous because this tells me right here that Disney wanted to do this the whole time. And what do I mean by that? They spent, I think it was like $7 billion for this company. And they didn't get everything. Uh, they don't own uh, Fox Sports or Fox News, but they got the television. They got the movie division. You're going to sit here and tell me that after, you know, like Art of the Racing, Art, the Art of Racing in the Rain, Stuber, uh, and I think there was like one more Fox, Fox movie um, after the acquisition and they just all just tank and they're just like, well, we tried, we're going to go and just shut down this whole division type of deal. And it's like, what? You spent all this money to just shut down everything. It makes no sense to me. So this tells me this. I think Bob Iger was expecting this for these movies to fail, to give him an excuse to shut it down and to basically just make blockbuster movies. Um, and also, it makes sense to me because there was a story that released earlier this week that they want to reboot the um, the Die Hard series. Okay, so you want to re- reboot that, but you want you don't want to give like smaller films a chance. Like, I, it makes me so angry um, because they're finding excuses, they're finding uh, these these outs to be like, well, this movie didn't succeed. Oh, this movie's about Nazis. We got to bury it. Like, you see, there's there's just problems over here at 20th Century Fox. Let's point fingers and let's shut it down. And it's like, no, Fox Searchlight is your only hope to make, like, really great Oscar-driven um, movies. Like, you need to keep that studio alive. And it's also important just for the art form. I realize it's a business, and I realize if the numbers are not good, then you need to, like, cut where you need to cut. I totally get that. But you just purchased this company, what was it, four months ago? And you're already, like, giving up on projects. You're giving up on the, the studio as a whole. You're you're complaining about movies that have been in the pipeline for years. The Jojo Rabbit thing isn't anything of a su- surprise. It's been, it's been in production for at least a year and a half. You can't sit there and go, all right, we're going to buy this company – Oh, wait, the Nazi movie comes with it? Oh, oh, I don't know about that. You knew that going in. So why are you making a fuss about it now? It just it makes no sense to me. Uh, like, did anyone not see the upcoming film schedule uh, that Fox had? It, it's, it's just mind-blowing. But it does set a dangerous precedent for the future for them to go, oh, we just want to make um, Avatar, Die Hard, and Alien, but uh, everything else can just go by the wayside. And, and, of course, Deadpool movies. But... 
Um, we're not going to take a chance on anything else. We're going to Disney-fy everything. Everything's going to be PG-13. We're not going to release any R-rated films. It's like, I, 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 I don't personally get it. Like, you had a, a golden opportunity to have the Disney studio make family films, comic book movies, Star Wars films, whatever you wanted to do, and then have Fox be your adult entertainment. Like, that to me makes more sense to me uh, on a business sense. Like, continue to create those, um, you know, uh, R-rated films and push the boundaries in terms of art. It, It just, that was your golden opportunity, but you're squandering it with all these stories and it just makes you look like, you, you want to water everything down. You want to cut every, uh, cut all these movies uh, out of the pipeline and cut the studio down because of a couple flops. It's like you spent seven billion dollars on this company. It's going to take you decades to get this money back. You know that, right? It's not going to happen overnight. So don't don't get on in a hissy because a couple movies didn't do as well, and now you're just like, well, it's, there you go. There's the proof, and it's like you're such an idiot. I, I just. Oh, it makes no sense to me. Um, it's it's classic corporate yeah, capitalism. It, it, it's you know? the, yeah, it's just like all oh, this didn't ex- succeed. Guys, shut it down. It's like it, you. This is such a huge investment. You gotta let it breathe a little bit. And I, I, I will say this to wrap it up, uh, and then Joel will go on to probably what is the more infuriating piece of news. But there, there's two movies coming out this year that are going to live or die by this studio. If people do not support Ad Astra and Ford v. Ferrari, then Fox is going to be shut down. If those two films succeed, maybe it can uh, turn their stupid little brains around and go, okay, fine, we'll keep it open and we'll, we'll keep pushing movies. If those two movies flop, I would not be surprised if at the beginning of next year, Fox is completely done. And the only thing that they're going to release are Avatar, and probably that's it. So um, if, if there were any two movies that were more important to a studio survival and to keep Fox Searchlight alive, because Ready or Not's not going to make money. Um, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to it, but it's not going to it's not going to blow uh, expectations out of the water. They need to get Oscars. They need to get um, nominations. They need to. Make profitable movies with Ford v Ferrari and and Astra because those are under the Fox banner. If those movies succeed and they get maybe some award recognitions for their smaller films, then they have a shot. If they do not, then you can say goodbye to all the movies that they were going to take a risk on because they're not going to happen anymore. So if there were any two films that were more important to Fox's survival, it is Ad Astra and Ford v Ferrari. Please, for love of everything that is holy, go support those films if you uh, want to keep it alive. So that's all I got to say about that. That was draining, and now we get to rant about another topic. So thank you uh, for all these stories happening this week because uh, my blood is a-boiling. Yeah, you ready for it to boil more? Oh, man, I I, I am ready for uh, for this garbage. Okay, so I don't know how aware um, the – you know, people outside the U.S. are about all of the shootings, how closely they pay attention to them, uh, you know, the shootings that happen. So we recently had three pretty major um, high-profile ones. One was in Gilroy, California at a garlic, vest- garlic festival 
One was in El Paso, Texas. That was the biggest one um, recently um, at a Walmart. And one was outside a restaurant in uh, Dayton, Ohio. And I think across the uh, the three shootings, I think it was like 35 people, 34, something like that. Uh, 35 people, 34, 35 people died. And in the wake of that, um, the, uh, <laughs> I'll just say it, uh, people on the right have been, uh, on the political right have been blaming everything except for the, uh, wide, ac- uh, you know, access to guns. Everything except for that is responsible for this. Um, and the most popular thing that has been gotten to by, uh, a lot of, uh, conservative politicians is video games and movies, uh, video games in particular, but this affects the movie industry. Um, quick pause for a second because there was a really funny response from, uh, I think it was Kevin McCarthy, who is the Senate, I think the Senate majority leader or something. Uh, maybe that's, I don't know who, I don't know who he is, but, um, he's a politician and he said that, um, he was kind of addressing the comparisons being made to the U S and Japan. And he said a really funny thing. He said that the reason that they don't have shootings in Japan is because they don't have video games in Japan. So I'm just going to let that fester just for a second in your minds. Um, because I'm not going to point out why that's the funniest thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. Wait, Joel, are you talking about the same country that has the, Probably the biggest like video game like uh like playing rate of any place on the earth is that what you're talking well, about? Well, I wasn't gonna say it. Okay, so, okay, hence, I was just making why sure. I said I wasn't gonna say it. But, right, yes, right, right. It was yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. Basically, stupidity. But this this is about the movies, and yes, there was a there was some consequence. So after this, our president, Donald Trump, decided to tweet vaguely about um, the violent movies that are kind of being made. And one of them was very explicitly targeted by Fox News, and that is The Hunt, um, which is the universal movie um, that's supposed to come out pretty soon. And basically – before I go any further, here is the the synopsis of The Hunt. Um, here it is. Twelve strangers wake up in a clearing. They don't know where they are or how they got there. They don't know they've been chosen for a very specific purpose. The Hunt. In the shadow of a dark internet conspiracy theory, a group of globalist elites gathers for the very first time in a remote manor house to hunt humans for uh, for sport. But the elite's master plan is about to get is about to be derailed because one of the hunted, Crystal, played by Betty Gilpin, knows the hunter's game better than any uh, better than they do. Sorry, she turns the tables on the killers, picking them off on, one by one as she makes her way toward the mysterious woman, played by Hilary Swank, at the center of it all. Um, now, this movie was supposed to come from Jason Blum and Damon Lindelof. They were uh, teaming up as producers. And um, had a pretty starry cast, a lot of TV people, and, and Hillary Swank. Um, okay, so because of the tweets that Trump sent and because of the Fox News backlash, Universal decided to take it to heart, and they canceled the release of the film. Um, if you're paying attention, of course, globalist elites are exactly what Fox News rail against pretty much every hour of every day particularly Tucker, Tucker Carlson. Um, 
And so this is in direct response. This is basically a lot like um, it sort of reminded me of the response to the interview from Sony a couple years ago. What was that other thing that happened? Um, there was the one oh, – I'm going to have to think about – there was some other thing that was in direct response to um, the uh, the back – to backlash from, from the political right. And it was um, – I'm going to have to think about it later on. But uh, yeah, things like this, this have happened before. It makes me angry every single time because – they basically here's the statement from Universal. While Universal Pictures had already paused the marketing campaign for the hunt after thoughtful consideration, the studio has decided to cancel our plans to release the film. We stand by our filmmakers and will continue to distribute films in partnership with bold and visionary creators like those associated with this satirical social thriller. But we understand that now is not the right time to release this film. One, okay, it's exactly the right time. Um, satire is supposed to come out exactly when it's in the zeitgeist uh so this is within the zeitgeist to release this film now so don't wait on it two you don't stand by your filmmakers if you're canceling their movies three this was not thoughtful consideration considering it was very 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 soon after those tweets it was within the next few days there if it was thoughtful consideration it would be way longer than that because you'd have to weigh a bunch of options all of that um, so then you had the other response, which was from another big corporation and that was Walmart uh, who, you know, just to remind everybody was the site of one of these shootings decided that instead of selling guns, uh, or instead of stopping their, their sale of guns, I should say in, in such like obvious fashion, because they have literal like little gun vendors in the store. They're going to stop advertising violent video games. So this is in direct response to the complaints about video games. Yet, basically they're saying in in our stores, including presumably the one where there was a shooting, they're not going to stop selling guns. They're just going to stop advertising violent video games because of reasons. That's That's what the kids would say, and that's all I can think of. Um, okay, let me take you all back in time, just, just, just a little bit to one of the first, maybe the first instance of a mass shooting making headline news and the response to it. And that was in April of 1999. You might've heard of it, the Columbine shooting. This is the one that kind of was ground zero for a lot of people realizing that they could, you know, kind of be famous for shooting up places and getting caught and not killed for it, I guess. Um, but in response to that, you had a lot of people, uh, particularly, um, like, I think, who was it? Um, Trent Lott? I think it was Trent Lott who, um, maybe it wasn't Trent Lott at that time, but it was it was somebody pretty high profile who blamed video games, blamed the music by Eminem and Marilyn Manson, um, and uh, for for the those particular killers doing that, um, it followed. It was followed up by really deadly shootings at Virginia Tech and and Pulse nightclub and Las Vegas and 
all of these people are completely different from each other and not in, uh, you know, inspired by the same thing. It's not about any sort of mental illness, particularly in the case of the El Paso shooting in which the killer literally had a manifesto about um, the fact that there was a, a Hispanic inv- invasion. So there's clearly a reason for it, an actively stated reason by the killer. Sometimes there, sometimes there isn't. Sometimes it's just sociopaths, people who just want to cause carnage. But that's not mental illness. Uh, so let's get that out of the way. The worst thing that you can do is response is respond to these thing to these things happening, by trying to blame some secondary thing. Even I'm going to go out and say it. Even if somebody said that they wanted to that they saw this like video game the shootout or or um, committed the shootout within a video game, right? And then went out and committed a real live mass shooting. The video game would still not be responsible for it. That's not how that works. And so to respond on a corporate level this way and cancel movies and, uh, you know, no longer advertise violent video games instead of going at the real problem is the least helpful thing that you could possibly do. And I'm sorry for getting political. I know that we're probably going to get comments about this. But it begs it, it begs saying that this was probably the least useful thing for anybody that Universal could have done. Um, yeah, you don't censor art because of what's happening in the real world. It's the, you just don't do it. And I, I had the same response to when they re-edited uh, Gangster Squad back in the the Aurora the Aurora uh, Colorado shooting. They re-edited a scene in Gangster Squad about a uh, a, a shooting that happens in a theater. And it caused them to um, to basically tank the movie because it didn't make anything. It had a perfect October release date, and then it was uh, uh, um, pushed off to January 2013, and it completely tanked. And and it's because of the fact that they responded to um, a mass shooting in this way and re-edited their movie. It's censorship. That's all it is. And so, um, yeah. It's the it's the worst it's the worst possible response that you could have for something like this. Art is supposed to be, um, especially satire, is supposed to be cathartic, and it's supposed to be it's supposed to reflect the world we live in. So to so to cancel the movie outright is a travesty. It's it's the worst possible response you could have to this. And um, now what I'm hoping is like Netflix picks it up or. Something. Somebody else picks it up, basically. Um, I doubt that that's going to happen. I feel like this is essentially their version of uh, The Day the Clown Cried. Um, Jerry Lewis never let anybody else have that movie because he was so embarrassed by it and it hasn't come out. So this is probably another one of those situations where they're going to hold on to it. But I really hope they just kind of sell it off to somebody if they're so embarrassed by it and that that particular uh, somebody's like Netflix, somebody who who won't be so ridiculous about their response. Um, Netflix wouldn't have anything to lose by putting this on their on their streaming service. So, yeah. Anyway, it's it's maddening. It's uh, it's a crazy world, and uh, Universal just made it a little bit more irritating. I would just say. Um, obviously, it's not a travesty on the level of shootings, but it is 
it is art and to censor it is a bad thing. So yeah, that's my little rant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As Joel is super calm about it. Um, it, I, I don't think you should apologize for getting too political because this ties directly into the politics because this is what caused it. And I just, I don't understand it. Um, at the bare minimum, I'm pretty sure the wrong people that are angry uh, should not be angry. Because from what I've heard, the plot of the movie is that it's actually people that are like more liberal uh, shooting up like Republicans. And I th- this could be a rumor. No one's going to ever know because uh, not uh, not a lot of people have actually like seen the movie. But I've also heard that the people being hunted are called deplorables. And so at the bare minimum, shouldn't people on the right be like, I, I don't know, like, I, I, f- I feel like uh, if uh, people that were supposed to be angry at this movie, wouldn't they be more liberal because they're hunting other people of different uh, political I- ideology? Like, I feel like, you know, uh, I would be more pissed off than uh, they would, but I'm not going to do that because that's stupid. Um it, it, it is art, and if you start censoring art, then w- what are we doing? Then we're going to lead into a, a, a fascist society, and I'm not I'm not down for that. Um, I have a question. If Jason Blum can make four Purge movies and nothing happens from it, why does this movie get targeted? Exactly. There, there, there is literally a plot where rich, wealthy white people are hunting down poor people no one said anything that's satire and what about the tagline in uh purge election year that movie came out uh what was it four months before the election the tagline to that movie was keep america great why didn't the rabid trump fan base outcry on that be like oh my god they're directly targeting um the purge four when the first uh poster came out for that was a literal red hat in a white background. That's all it said. It was, just, it was just a red hat. We know what that's referring to. Where was the outcry on that? That was directly targeting Trump fan base. And I'm no actually out- and I'm actually looking here too. So um I think people forget this. The Pulse nightclub shooting happened about three weeks before the release of the purge election year. Um, yeah, so why didn't Universal decide to, to pull it then? I, right, and, and that's the problem is that we're running down this slippery slope. So if we're going to pull movies like this, then um, we got to pull every violent movie. we got, we got to pull all uh, movies that involve shootings. or go- What about John Wick? John Wick, this is a – I know he's an assassin, and he's killing bad people, but this guy is slaying people left and right for two hours straight. Where's the outcry on that? It's because it's art. It's entertainment. It's fiction. It's just, it, it, I just, I don't, I don't get it, man. Like you should have held your, your, your ground and you should have released this thing. I will guarantee you right now that uh, ever since this uh, really just cry baby attitude over this movie came out, uh, Jason Blum knew what was going to happen. They probably had talks with uh, the Universal heads and he's probably trying to figure out a way to release this thing because there was an article that came out where they interviewed him and they said, are we ever going to see the light of day of this film? And he said, 
I, I still want to release this thing, but we don't know. And the thing is, Jason can't do anything about it because he signed a contract with Universal. So Universal has any distributing rights on any of his movies that he produces. So it's up to Universal at this point. If they want to sell it off, like Joel said, to Netflix or whomever, I will guarantee you if Netflix swoops up and picks up that thing, it's going to be released the next day because people want to see this thing uh, causing all that uh, publicity now. Um, Like, I get if, like, they wanted to delay the film because of a mass shooting. It, I don't think you should. But if you want to delay it by, like, until January or something, I would be opposed to it, but I would get it. But this is just, this is crossing the line where you're giving power to crybaby voices over a movie they haven't even seen yet. Yeah, it's, it's just re- it's just reactionary to well, yeah, to completely it, pull the movie. Yeah, yeah, if if anything, what if the movie made people on the right look like heroic? Like, what if it made you guys look good? And yet, <laughs> you don't know because we'll never see it now. And so it it's like Joel said, it's all reactionary. It's emotional. It sounds like you're being snowflakes. It sounds like you're being crybabies. Are we losing our our minds over it? Even though it depicts um, people that aren't on the right wing looking like the evil people why aren't we outraged i just it's so so stupid but even uh with its stupidity and now walmart banning violent video games and still selling guns is pure america right there uh pure american irony um i've been playing violent video games my whole life uh hell when i was um 11 12 years old i think that's when grand grand theft auto three came out how come i haven't caused any mass shootings uh or any anything of violent nature i that is such a ridiculous argument it's the same thing that goes with movies movies don't cause mass shootings i've seen i'm sure if you combined all the movies that joel and i have seen in our lifetimes i'm sure a lot of them contain some type of violence whether it be by hand by weapon you, do you see us going out and causing violence? No, because we, we understand that it's art, it's fantasy, it's fiction, and we can separate that from our reality that we live in because we're, we're, we're able to separate that. But I guess it's hard for some people to do that and they just cry about it. So um, stupid on Universal's part to do it. I hope they either release it now and stand their ground, um, maybe hopefully uh in, in by next year or something or sell it off because you know someone else is going to drop it uh don't give people like that power it is dangerous um i i don't give a crap what uh, our president likes to uh um yell about on twitter you should never ever give them leverage like that that is so stupid i don't even care if it's a democratic president it would still be stupid don't do that so Ugh, I, it just it, it makes me so frustrated, and you know it's a movie I was actually looking forward to and stuff. So on a selfish level, Joel, it's just it, it's you know I'm I'm angry. So um, yeah, you know that's the news. Uh, thank you Hollywood for uh, making Joel and I reconsider uh, our hobby. So thank you. <laughs> All right, folks, that's it for the news this week. We're gonna move on to our reviews of Blinded by the Light. Um, All right, so this is the new movie. From director Gurinder Chadha, 
She is the uh, filmmaker behind Bend It Like Beckham and Bride of Prejudice. She's also done a couple of other smaller movies like Viceroy's House, Angus Thongs, and Perfect Snogging. Um, yes, that's the name of a movie. And uh, yeah, some other some other stuff. She, I think she's done some um, some TV work as well. And this follows a young man named Javed who is played by Vivek uh, Kalra. He's he's a young Pakistani man growing up in the small town of Luton in England in 1987, or Britain, I should say, in 1987. And uh, times are tough. This is Margaret Thatcher. This is this is Thatcherite Britain. It's uh it's tough times because in uh, Thatcher's Britain, jobs were just basically bleeding out of the country. Nobody was able to really do anything about it, particularly the poor. It was all it was extremely uh, uh, economically conservative time, uh, to say the least. There's a lot of stagnation in that in that um, respect, and he's he's growing up in the uh, in the thick of it. He lives with his parents, Malik, played by Govinder Kier, Kier, and Noor, played by Mira Ganatra, and his sisters uh, and two sisters, one of whom is getting married soon. Um, his father wants Javed to become a lawyer, maybe a state state agent, uh, maybe an estate agent. I can't speak today, but Javed wants to be a writer. Uh, of course, this is basically the worst possible time to grow up in Britain in 1987 uh, to want to be a writer because <laughs> it's not going to pay you anything. There's no prospects for that. But he really wants to be, and at the right time, he finds inspiration in the music. Of Bruce Springsteen, when a friend gives him a couple of cassette tapes, um, he writes things to show to his teacher, played by Haley Atwell. He also in, um, uh, develops a relationship with a young woman named Eliza, played by Nell Williams, against the uh, the wishes of his parents, who want him to marry a Muslim woman. Of course, um, this is a story that's uh, kind of based in reality. There's there's definitely some liberties that it takes, I, I would imagine. Um, it's based on a memoir by Sarfraz Manzoor called Greetings from Barry Park, Race, Religion, and Rock and Roll. Manzoor also co-wrote the screenplay with Chada and um, – what's his name? Paul Maeda Burgess. So this is a pretty typical story as you can tell. It's somebody who's growing up um, with not a lot of uh, you know options for him and is dreaming of something greater, finds something to latch that dream onto and just kind of – um, uh, you know, goes after it with all of his might. Um, I think though that be like below that very simple story, which we've seen a lot. There's also a really specific examination of a point in history, and I've already kind of covered it, and that's the fact that um, this is Margaret Th- Margaret Thatcher's Britain. Uh, there's a real sense of place here, as um, Javed gets a lot of uh, called a lot of names, has a real uh, pushback because of his skin color, because of his religion, and yet I think that it's the performances that make this. Um, and also, I think that there's a certain sense of um, confidence on Chada's part to bring the story to light. It's telling a heartfelt story, but I think it's doing it with a sense of specificity that I really enjoyed. I also really liked how basically what this movie is doing is it's bringing Bruce Springsteen's catalog to life 
in a really meaningful and loving way. There's a there's a stretch in the middle of this movie that goes on for a while, longer than I anticipated, and it's a series of um, musically driven um, uh, montages, in which you know, kind of inspired by Young Love, Javed and Eliza kind of go off and and with the, their uh, mutual friend Roops, played by Aaron Figura, um, go off and kind of just have a good time walking around the city and listening to music, singing it kind of, in fact, uh, right there uh, in public. And we get a real sense of the joy of this of this kid's um, discovery. Uh, it connects with him on an emotional level, spiritual level, all of it. And it lights this sort of fire underneath him in order to pursue his gift, which in this case is poetry, by the way. He wants to be a writer. He specializes in poetry. And I think that we've all kind of had this experience with a musical artist or group at some point, or if not with, uh, with something in music, some sort of movie series. You never know what it, what it could be. Um, for me, if, it, if, if we're talking about a music group, it's definitely Radiohead. I've mentioned that before on here. They mean a lot to me. They came. They came. I, I discovered them at a key point in my life, and uh, they they made a big impact. So I don't know if <laughs> my life could be a movie like this, where um, because of that I, I pursue anything. I didn't do that, but we've all had that, and this and that's what Bruce Springsteen is for for Javed or in real life uh, Manzur. So. I think that it's it's really valuable and has a lot of merit because of that, particularly because of Colorado's performance, which got accolades uh, after its showing at Sundance this past year, and um, and also I really liked uh, his father, Kovinder Gear, who is, basically it's a very predictable role. The father is very um, uh, you know kind of traditional, wants his son to do one thing, one thing only, takes all of his pay. Um, to, to help the family, particularly because of a wedding approaching for one of the daughters. And um, I think that he's really good. I also like Mira Ganatra as, as his mother, um, very touching role as this woman who's kind of forced because of her husband being laid off in the course of this story, is forced to uh, sew a bunch of material uh, just, you know, morning to night in order to pay for anything uh, regarding their living arrangement and um really good performances all around i think it has a a nice sense of um of tone management once again i talk about this a lot there's there's a charming aspect to to javed and his relationship with eliza and there's um there's a lot of uh, sincere drama uh, surrounding this family and uh and the time that they live in there's a really um uh, intense scene involving a, a demonstration by a bunch of uh, essentially alt-right people, but uh, here, of course, it's just white is right. Um, people who who want Britain to be only white, um, and this is these were movements that really did happen in Britain at the time. Um, and I don't know if they're still happening. I would hope not. Uh, people, let me know if if they are because that's awful. But. Uh, they were at this time, and there's a really intense scene involving that where we get a whole picture of this kind of prejudice that that drives their their um, very lo-fi situation. Um, there's just de-unionization uh, galore. There's 
just major economic uh, stagnation in this particular period, and it's affecting everything about Javed's life. He may not be able to to, um, to learn anything anymore at school because they might have to take him out. He may not be able to go to Manchester University, which is re- where he wants to go because it's far, far away from Luton. There's a lot writing on this particular story. I think it's a pretty good telling of that story. And um, yeah, I, there's really not much to say about this movie, I will say. It's good. It's charming. It's it's well acted. It moves along nicely. Uh, maybe a little bit too long. It is almost exactly two hours, and I didn't expect that. For some reason, when I went in, I thought it was like 97 minutes. It's 117. Maybe a little bit long, but whatever. It still moves along nicely. It's a, it's a pleasant time at the theater. There's really not much much more I can say about it, but I am giving it a solid B. It's one of the best-reviewed movies of the year. I think it's in the 90s or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I think I can get that. It's very crowd-pleasing in a way. Um, I maybe not quite as high on it as a lot of people, but I but I did like it. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's quite good. I'm giving it a B. Uh, Chase, I don't know what you thought of this. Um, are you in agreement, or are you a little lower on it, a little higher on it? What's going on in that in that head of yours? Before I begin, uh, we actually had the same problem. I went in there and I thought it was an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> when I walked out, I was like, that was two hours. Um, which which could be a good thing, you know, if a movie flies by. The uh, the timeline shouldn't matter, but I, I guess Joe and I were under the assumption that this was a, a brisk hour and a half, but uh, we were uh, we were fooled. Um, yeah, uh, I remember when uh, when we saw the trailers, I was like, man, this is going to be a battle between the uh, the music centered uh, movies uh, this summer with this and yesterday, and of course we had Rocket Man as well in May, so it's just been. We've been getting one of these movies every single month where it focuses um, not really necessarily uh, as a prime source for the narrative, but having either a band or a musician be a kind of like background push for uh, for characters in a story. And so, you know, with this one, with Bruce Springsteen, I will say right off the bat, this is not a lie. I don't know um, music that well. I know it's kind of a weird thing to say uh i listened to a lot of stuff growing up but the problem with me and uh i i have i have an issue i'm not gonna lie i listen to the same bands over and over again and (laughs) so when a lot of stuff comes on the radio people will be singing away my fiance is like a karaoke machine she can she knows so many songs she knows so many lyrics I don't know. Like, if a song comes on, people are singing. I'm like, okay, this sounds great, uh, but I don't know the lyrics. I don't know who sang it. I don't know what the song is called. So it, I'm going into this going, cool, I, I'm aware of who Bruce Springsteen is. I think I've listened to his music. I'm not sure. But then when you play some, like, Blinded by the Light, for instance, I've heard that song. So there you go. One point for me. But every other song I've never heard of in my life. So uh, there you go. Um See, so yeah, going into it, I had no idea what his music was like, what the story uh, was really like in terms of how deep it was going to go with, um, you know, the family and, uh, you know, Javed's dreams and everything, or Javed. Um, and so I walked out going, it was fine. Um, and I think uh, I'm, I'm more along the lines of, like, what Mark thought, because um, Joel is, he's just, like, a little bit higher than Mark and I. Mark and I are pretty much just neutral with this thing. Um, 
I'm not saying it's a bad movie. Uh, I just don't think it's like a great movie. It's just like, hey, that was a decent time at the theaters. Uh, I'm not going to take it away from that. Um, but what I really liked about uh, uh, Gurinder, um, I've actually never seen any of her movies. So this was my first movie, and that includes Bennett Light Beckham. Never saw it. Um, I was, you know, I wasn't really impressed with her directing, but I will agree with Joel. Like, there is a confidence behind it. There is a passion behind this film. Um, I, I saw a couple of interviews before uh, I recorded or, you know, recorded this episode for you guys, and I was just listening to her talk. And she was really just adamant on bringing this story to light, especially with the the kind of di- discrimination and bigotry that we're dealing with in 2019, how it applies to a late 80s setting movie and um, really capturing the love for Bruce Springsteen. And, you know, because this is based on a real life story. And so uh, showing the love for, for Bruce, showing the love for Javed and just... Um, you know, uh, Pakistani culture. It's just, there was a lot of love and passion behind it. I just thought the directing was fine. Um, there was a couple of like, uh, you know, like beats in the movie where like when he was listening to the music, like the words would pop out and screen. But other than that, I didn't really find like any like visual bite to it where I could be like, wow, that was like a really well-directed movie that I, I walked out going, Wow, that was a really important movie. I'm glad that she made it, and I'm hoping this movie succeeds. Um, but it, it was kind of visually boring to me in terms of like that. Uh, the cinematography as well, I thought, was also kind of muted and kind of just boring. There wasn't, like I said, there wasn't like any like, anything to prop it up and like just give it that oomph. Um, but I will say, the saving grace for this entire movie, which is the backbone is the family, uh, Javed, his dad, the relationship that they have in the fact that, you know, he's with tradition. He is a Pakistani culture. He's like, listen, you're going to get a job in a factory. You're going to do this. I'm going to arrange your marriage. And he's like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I want to write. I want to inspire people. I want to change the world. And what really helps him, like Joel said, it kind of lights a fire under him is listening to Springsteen. And how Springsteen, even though he is a huge celebrity, he can write lyrics to talk to the common folk and, you know, people in the middle class and really kind of inspire them to chase their dreams. And, you know, he does that for uh, Javed and it's such a wonderful kind of arc that he goes through. And I think the uh, performance from him was really well done. It was really tender and uh, charming and it's just really really just human and i really enjoyed that he he was definitely the driving force behind the movie but um his father as well joel's correct it is a very stereotypical role where you would expect him to act like this he's he's really uh uh really hard on him and stuff and then he slightly loosens up and he's hard on him again and then he finally uh lets him be himself it's stuff that we've seen before for sure but he does a great job portraying that, and that uh, relationship, the father-son relationship, is the actual heartbeat of this movie, and they do not disappoint with that, so that's why this movie uh, has that going for it, because you definitely need that. Um, all the other relationships that he has in the movie, once again, fine. Uh, the Sikh uh, gentleman that he uh, becomes friends with at, at the school that actually introduces him to Bruce, 
fine. Nice little relationship. Uh, the relationship that he has with uh, his girlfriend. Once again, it's fine. Um, you know, there's some sweet moments there. Uh, but I think the overall reception that I got throughout the entire experience was it's a feel-good movie. It's inspirational. It's a movie that we need in these dark times that we're living in. It's uplifting. It's just, it does put a smile on your face. Like, it's just so warm-hearted, and it puts all the right messages out there. It condemns the bad ones, and uh, it just, it makes you see the world as it is, but knowing that even in the world's darkest times, you can still find, like, light at the end of the tunnel and there there's you know good people out there and there's um wonderful people out there like um javed and his family and stuff and so yeah like i understood the importance and the passion behind it lacking a little bit uh visually um speaking to me uh, in terms of a visual narrative but i do like um the overall feeling that you get just walking out and feeling pumped and amped and ready to go feeling inspired to do something with your own life um, and the performances are really well done, and especially towards the end when uh, the tensions build within the family and Javed and his dad, and that speech that he gives at the very end, you know, directly talking to his dad uh, while also not talking to him because he's talking to a huge crowd. Wonderful stuff. It tugs at the heartstrings. It's what you want. Um, I was telling Joel uh, before we started recording, I am really worried that this film is not going to uh, succeed. Um, I was in a 7 p.m. showing on a Friday, which is prime time for new release movies. There was me and five other people in there. And that is really depressing. I know Joel's crowd was uh, was a little lackluster as well. Go support movies like this. Um, I'm going to give it a C+. Plus. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think it's a, it's a fine little movie. Um, you know, it hits all the right beats that you would expect from this type of story. While also just finding some really uh, nice um, moments, uh, whether they be, you know, Javed and his relationships or him finding this music, fe- feeling inspired, and even, you know, feeling um, this grounded sense of reality with the, the bigotry and stuff. It's just a lot of stuff that uh, feels very relevant, but um, really well done for a story that was uh, made in the late 80s, uh, based on a true story, which is cool. Um yeah, um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, please go support movies like this, guys. Um, even if um, they're not, you know, uh, if we if we don't like akin to them too much, you know, I, I still want, you know, smaller movies like this to be supported because uh, it, <laughs> Warner Brothers is probably going to lose money on this. Um, hopefully not. I'm hoping that there is a, maybe a more international audience for it, even though Bruce Springsteen was born and uh, his music was primarily popular here in uh, America, hopefully he has uh, an international audience um, and stuff uh, because, uh, yeah, the, the audience makes me makes me believe it will not do that well. But C-plus for me, a B from Joel, uh, that is my thoughts on Blinded by the Light. Um, definitely not a bad theater experience, but, um, you know, I, I, I walked out feeling, feeling satisfied, but just more of like, hey, that was fine. Um, so yeah, more on the the lines of Mark with this one. Interesting. So you liked uh, obviously you liked Yesterday a lot more, which is funny because I know a lot of people hate that movie and people love this one, and I I don't know what it is about it. And once again, I don't even know that many Beatles songs either. So like I just went in just wanting to watch a good movie, and I guess I just 
I guess I like the visual bite to that one more. I guess I like the flow to that one more. And um, I guess I like the energy a little bit more to that one. I, I, I guess that one was just more my style, I guess. I don't know how to describe it. But, yeah, I guess I, I, I gravitate towards that one more. It was interesting because I, I felt like with yesterday, that was the one that for me kind of went into went in a an uninteresting direction. That's stories that we've we've seen before with people, you know, joining the industry and becoming uh, alienated towards everyone. And yeah. yeah like, and in I, that I, case, I that. of course, it was it was an entire band disappearing. I just felt like it took it into just a romantic drama direction, which wasn't very interesting. And um, so I definitely like this one more. I would say that we both agree that the best uh, one that tackles music this summer is probably Rocket Man. Oh, which, hands down. Yeah, that that was good. So anyway, in any case, I liked it. Chase's lukewarm on it. it um, hey, hey, if if it makes you feel any better, I recommend all three of them. Like we've had a pretty great year with uh, movies that um, have a a narrative that is uh, not driven by the band or musician, but has as like a, a, a an extra plus to the story. Yeah. All righty, uh, that's it for this week, folks. Next week we are going very small. We kind of went small this week. Uh, we've been we've been covering a lot of big movies recently, and I wanted to take a break from that uh, for these next couple of weeks before the um, the onslaught, as as Chase called it, of big uh, award season movies plus our uh, fall movie preview in a couple of weeks. Um, next week, the movie that I chose, Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Uh, it's a new Richard Linklater movie, and uh, always good to talk about Linklater, although I'm hearing kind of um, disappointing returns from this one. I can't wait to see it, so I'm seeing it on uh, on uh, Tuesday. I'm seeing it on Tuesday. So, um, yeah, that'll be our episode next week. Um, in the meantime, this has been Real Me In, colon, a movie podcast. Um, you can find my writing on joelonfilm.com. In addition to Blinded by the Light, I reviewed the three movies that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Meeting Gorbachev, Palms, and Tolkien. You can find reviews of all those uh, at my website, joelonfilm.com. You can follow my ramblings on Twitter at RealJoelCopling. That's R-E-E-L-J-O-E-L-C-O-P-L-I-N-G. And uh, you can follow my progress uh, through the year on Letterboxd at jcopling. And some of my writing at DallasMovieScreenings.com. I recently wrote a review of the Peanut Butter Falcon over there. You can find that. Um, and that's where I am on the internet. So there you go. Chase. All right. Uh, as a uh, full-on beta male, you can find me online uh, on Twitter at RealChaseLee. If you wanted to follow the uh, the podcast Twitter page, it is at RealMeAndPodcast. And, of course, for this podcast itself, uh, you can um, – you know, whether you're on uh, CastBox, uh, Spreaker, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever you get um, your listening uh, podcasting from, um, you know, please spread this around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. We would really appreciate it. And if you are new uh, to the show and you listen to this entire thing, we really appreciate it. And hopefully you can come back because uh, we love talking about smaller films as well as big films. We like to give you guys the full um, gamut of the industry and not just big blockbusters. So, uh, yeah, uh, all that, and of course, if you want to subscribe my, to my YouTube uh, channel, you can do that as well. Um, but yeah, let us know what you thought of Blinded by the Light and all the topics we, that we talked about, because we do have a lot of international listeners, and I'm wondering, and I'm very curious to know what you guys think of the whole Disney 
uh, kind of silencing uncomfortableness thing, and then uh, um, the the hunt thing as well. Because you know, I know uh, Trump is not you know a lot of people's presidents uh, that listen to this podcast, but uh, maybe you guys can give us a little uh, uh, insight that live outside of the states. Uh, that would be uh, greatly appreciated because I'm always I'm always curious on how American politics are received and how it affects I'm, things. I'm just going to I'm just going to assume on their behalf that it's total bafflement every single time <laughs> probably, they hear they're just something like, that trickles through. Yeah. They're, they're just probably like, "Oh my god, like what what is happening over there?" And I I can't wait cuz like I, I know like Brad's going to listen to this episode. He's probably going to be like, "Yeah, it's uh some BS down there." So, I don't know. We'll <laughs> we'll, we'll see, but he's from uh he's from Canada. So, yeah, that will do it for episode 287. Tune in next week for 288, uh, where we will go over uh, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Uh, excited to talk about a new Linklater film. He is one of my favorites. So that will do it for this week's episode. I am Chase Daz, Joel over there. You guys have a good good day, good night, whenever you're listening to this, and we'll see you guys next week for Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.